Hiya, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Wanna go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump on in. Welcome to the Luminaries. It's me, David Odyssey. Back with a long rambling episode about sobriety, personal history, she-demons in biblical mythology, Pluto, the planet, Neptune, another planet, my rewatch of Angel, and Angelica Houston versus Ryan O'Neill. Thank you for listening. Another night, another dream, but always you. It's like a vision of love that seems to be true. Another night, another dream, but always you. In the night, I dream of love so true. I think that Another Night by The Real McCoy and Saturday Night by Wigfield, along with the albums Aquarium and Aquarius by Aqua, are some of our most beautiful works. Aqua is better than you think it is because you are provincial. Aqua is massive. Any music from Scandinavia is going to be good because they uh, invest government money in music education because they want to be the best. And unlike... One time my brother tried to like explain American exceptionalism to me. Um, anyways, we haven't spoken in two, three years. But um, Aquarium came out in 1997. And of course, Aquarium is perfect. We have... Barbie Girl, Good Morning Sunshine, Dr. Jones, Be a Man, Turn Back Time. Aquarius is 2000, and I think it gets derided because it's turn of the century and it's seen as like almost gauche in Y2K, but Aquarius, come on. Cartoon heroes around the world, um, bumblebees, and the song Aquarius are so beautiful so sweet it's such pure pop <sighs> okay we have so much to talk about um i heard aqua at a party on new year's eve it was outdoors calm down okay are you okay you're okay okay and i danced for about four to five hours straight in 25 degree weather um along with beautiful fags and drag queens and they played music they played aqua they played dr jones and it took me somewhere i haven't been in a very long time i do want to say tyler ashley the dauphin of brooklyn the dauphin of bushwick i'm sorry is one of spotify's greatest users i highly recommend you follow the profile tyler j ashley their choices got me through 2020. Anyways, you know, from age 18 through about age, let's say, 26. So in my lost years, let's say, Houston, Tel Aviv, Boston, Los Angeles, pre-New York, I was dead sober all the time. And not in like, I was not in recovery as I am now. I was literally just like... I had no interest in alcohol, and I didn't want to smoke weed. It didn't interest me because I, the only people I knew who smoked weed at the time were, like, 
loser Jewish guys who played um, who played Jack Johnson songs on the guitar and like Jewish girls would like lose their goddamn minds and you know in LA you have to fucking drive so if you go out especially here's the twist I was going out alone most nights so for years and years I would go out alone and in Tel Aviv it was kind of magical just because it's such a small city it's such a non-city and i could just leave my grandmother's apartment at midnight or 1 a.m dance go into a club wait tel aviv is like all gay scenes you have to understand that all gay scenes are like neverland because no one grows up no one moves on no one ages so someone you made out with when you were 18 you will see again when you were 24 and he will look exactly the same. And it's kind of this like, it's, it's kind of like, um, lost hope in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. It's kind of a fairy kingdom reality, but I would just go and dance and dance. And I never touched cigarettes and I didn't wear cologne, but at the end of the night, other men's cigarettes and colognes would be soaked into my skin and I would have to, of course, hear about it from my grandmother because I'd always and I would have to get in before she woke up at 6 a.m. So I'd have to get in as the sun was rising and make sure that I was tucked in. And it was very like Clarissa explains it all. It was very like uh, it, it was very teen movie suspense of like soft is about to wake up. What's going to happen? Um, and one time her neighbor across the street when I came in in the middle of the night saw my light in my bedroom go on and told her that she was going to call Magen Davida Dome on me, which is the ambulance um, in Israel. So anyways, then I would wake up at 10 and I'd be in for um, a lot of kind of scorpionic Polish psychological warfare with my grandmother in which she would quiz me on what happened the night before. Also, of course, it was never established to her that I was gay, but come on and so she would ask me about the girls i'd go out with but it was kind of like a joke um all of this while eating you know listen my grandmother did not love cooking she did it so um and you know as a holocaust survivor who doesn't throw away food if she makes you something and you don't finish it guess what's for breakfast lunch and dinner tomorrow and even if that means putting it back on the frying pan or, um, you know, just going back to that same can of tuna, you're going to finish it. So thank God at that point, I think I had a much stronger um, gut bacterium. Anyways, in Boston, well, I would go out alone and I was so angry. I was just so, so angry I didn't have a lot of friends. I felt totally just... I. That is a point... I've been, I think my whole 20s were blurry, or at least up to like 27. But at that point, I was just like... Not. And there was all this anger inside me that I didn't understand. And I would go out alone to the estate. And no one touched me no kissing nothing because i think i was just seething but i would be holding my pepper spray in my hand in case anyone fucked with me as if that was gonna happen i was just like 
a lame milk toast potato kind of hash brown twink um but you know i have a memory of on my birthday that i like broke a year long no having not been touched um and i made out with this someone i went to college with on my 21st birthday um and they were playing um on the floor by jennifer lopez and that was a really beautiful moment of course we went back to his room that night and i of course was way too anxious to hook up with him i just wanted to like the usual like touch me but don't touch me and you know even though we only made out that was enough for him to give me scabies um which i then took with me to jewish summer camp to australia um i gave my parents so that was really worth it um but yeah, and then it continued in L.A., and in L.A., I would go to Mr. Black, and I would be blasting. I would be always looking for parking at, like, midnight, and listening on loop to the Diane Keaton, then again, audiobook, and just going up and down the hills, and I'd be alone, and just dancing, 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 weight fluctuations, but it's just weird, because, like, I nothing was better for me than making out with someone on the dance floor and that kind of epic dramatic kiss and there's still this moment in tel aviv in when i was 18 i was like i'd gone on one date with this guy so in my head i had grafted onto him i was obsessed with him i wanted him to like annihilate me not even physically but like a soul annihilation and i of course in my head we were going to be in love forever and this, like, really, I was on the dance floor, I was at a Beyonce party, and they were playing Britney Spears, and this really beautiful man came up to me and asked if I would dance with him, and I said, no, I was seeing someone, and he said, like, oh, it figures. And of course, like, the guy that I thought I was seeing had no interest in me, and jettisoned me pretty quickly, and I'm still beating myself up about this mischance, but the truth is, like, I don't even know to feel a sexual spark in the moment with someone like is seems impossible to me for me what i feel is an uh, a spark of an ideal or an idea and it's a spark of an image of a person and a fantasy of a person and it's not really sexual it's more that i either want to be with them or become them um and usually i prop them up on some sort of a pedestal in my head, they're older than me, and they're, like, bigger than me and taller and hotter than me. And what's been really confusing is that it's continued, and I'm now 30,000 years old, and a lot of men I meet are much younger than I am. And it's like, what's going on here? Because I'm, I'm giving them this power over me that isn't real. Anyways, at the New Year's party I was at, this was... you know, So I started... I started, I kind of stopped going out when I moved to New York because I just realized that I was way out of my league and it was just not working anymore. And also when I was in New York, I was just so tired. I was just tired and depressed and couldn't move. And one time my stepmom said that I wasn't really depressed because people who are really depressed can't get out of bed. But yeah, one time in Crown Heights, I was on Eastern Parkway walking to the library and I like literally had to sit down because I was so weak. Anyways, 
after I had my first, like, awakening or whatever in 2017. So in L.A. I used to go-go dance. Sorry, this is so nonlinear. In L.A. I used to go-go dance at this party called Booty L.A. Just, if you want to be back in Obama's, in the Obama era, let me tell you. I used to go-go dance at a mashup rave party, okay? At, At the Echoplex, okay? So just try to take that in because, you know, God bless. Okay. And I was in this group called Raid, Random Acts of Inappropriate Dance, and I really... It was so special. It was such a community. And it wasn't really sexy go-go dancing. It was more like go-go, like costume go-go dancing. So there was like a lot of diapers. We did a Miley Cyrus number. Uh, I came out as a giant weed leaf once, blah, blah, blah. Um, And that was more just like getting... And it was great because I would go so hard. And I, I died a thousand times on that dance floor, on that stage. And I would just blast it and just go, 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 go. And you know what? I was a little bit depleted when I moved to New York and I didn't really have that. But in October, no, in October of 2017, with the founding of Club Coming, I had recently lost a ton of weight. (laughs) Um, Totally fine. Normal, uh, healthy. (laughs) Okay. And I asked to be a go-go dancer and they said yes and it was magnificent it was a complete return and for all the sex that I wasn't having all the hooking up I wasn't doing and all the ways that like things weren't happening I could this was the first time that I felt like I could sexually express myself because I felt that through the exchange of money and by being literally on a platform Um, And by the set rules of what the encounter is doing, I felt so liberated. I felt so generous. I felt so much love and like power. And I really had the most incredible, like, I don't want to call it imposter syndrome. I would call it like almost famous syndrome where when I'd like hang out with the other go-go boys in the dungeons. And this started happening when I had a lot of gigs. I'd like be hanging out with the other go-go dancers and they'd be talking. They'd be like, oh, where do you dance? Do you dance at the cock? And I'd be like, oh my God, they think that I like dance all over, all over town, which eventually I did. But it just was this new freedom. And especially at club coming, they would play, you know, Madonna Um, and not just any Madonna, but it would be like burning up Madonna. Um, Or Ray of Light Madonna, which is just like, or, you know, like Shakira. And it just could fucking tear it. Um, And and even then, there was one night where I was like having the most incredible chemistry with another go-go boy. It was so beautiful. And even then, I was hung up on another guy who was not going to provide much. And nothing happened. And I regret that too. Not that, by the way, and at club coming, I did start to really like take advantage and take advantage of the bathroom space and kind of, and I do want to say, um, you know, if I die tomorrow, the thing I've done in my life that is of the most value is let, um, the mustache dude from the village people fondle me because he deserves it. Okay. He's done enough for us. 
It's fine. Also, of course, Freckle, who is a known terrorist, absolutely um, was a lot one night. Anyways. But you know what? Club Coming, by this point, I was 27, and I felt that Club Coming and beyond, uh, you know, the deep end, I was dancing all over the place. For me to really get into my body and enjoy it and get into it, I did start drinking, and I was smoking pot. And it was great because... In a lot of ways, it totally opened me up and tapped me in, and it really got me out of my head, and great. But that then set on this new trend, which was like going out, I would have to drink or be high or mushrooms, which often could be amazing. The issue was, and you know, I stopped drinking in 20, like summer 2019, but even after that, the issue was that. I've been learning a lot about the planet Neptune and Neptune is obviously oceanic, but Neptune is imagination, dreams. It's kind of the invisible realms and Neptune is very much tied in with substances because Neptune, when you have a strong Neptune in your chart or you have strong water planet energy in your chart, which I do, I don't have a grand water trine, but I'm almost there. You know what I mean? Because I have Mars and Pisces second house. Um, and wait, why, why would I be blanking? Oh, Jupiter and Cancer. Hello. 1990, sixth house. And Scorpio, Pluto, like everyone in our generation in the 10th house, which we're going to get into. But I have Neptune in the 12th house. The 12th house is the original home of Neptune. It's the original placement of Pisces, once again, the ocean. And the 12th house is the house of personal history, closure, invisible realms, solitude, self-undoing. And, you know, when I read someone's chart or even looking at my own chart, when Neptune is strongly placed, yes, you are tapped into the invisible realms. Empathy, compassion, imagination but you have one foot in this realm and one foot in another and it is not always great to throw in substances that can be dissociative for me weed was reassociative which means to say it reintegrated me often and helped me get into my body and into my feelings and by the way now that i'm like trying some form of sobriety my sex drive is non-existent uh, i haven't felt it in weeks so you know, weed helped me get there. However, substances often would blur things and it would take things into a new realm, which isn't to say I'd be like an angry drunk, but my distortions, especially on a dance floor or at, you know, the, the number one place, the number one arena of survival, uh, re-speech, being on mushrooms or weed would take me, it, I would get hyper aware of everyone around me. I would get extremely nervous and my empathy would be off the charts. Not, not in a good way, not in a compassionate, intuitive way, but in a, I'm tapped into everything all the time and it's not good. And I would, I would get lost in this kind of Neptunian vortex um, and lose myself. And frankly, dancing, which I think for my life is the number one means of expression because 
There have been over the last year, I've really gotten into sex. I'm there. But for me, the place where, and I love weightlifting. Okay. But the place of truest freedom is dancing. And I think the social pressure of having to like get high, blah, 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 blurred that. So I couldn't just be in the music and in my body. And by the way, another thing I just want to say I love New York nightlife. I was uh, in February 20, you know, February 2020, I was nominated for a New York Nightlife Writer Award, which is one of the most dated things I've ever said. Uh, I was nominated for a Glam Award, but a lot of music in New York, I think you have to get high to enjoy it. And I'm not even talking about like the rave connoisseur scene. I'm talking about like, why can't I go to a party? three dollar bill where they could just play songs and one time mo fry Pasek and i were on the dance floor at a love prism and they were playing this like remix of um i feel love by donna summer which you really don't need to do anything with it trust me all 11 minutes are perfect and they just fucked it up and mo and i were staring at each other like is this ever gonna hit you know so that was anyways but this party on New Year's Eve was the first time that I've really danced sober in a re- it's probably since I've been go-go dancing. And it just all came back to me, which I was just like, I, oh, I don't need anything but truly good music, which is rare. That is not easy to come by. But I could really just, I went and went and went. And it, it was really good for me and really liberating. Um, so that's something. And, and I do want to say like, even sober I am aware of my annihilator which is I would see men at this party who again I don't know that there's a sexual attraction but they fit a bill of an image of desirability and unavailability onto which I could project and I could feel it was at, what it felt like was someone pulled the lid off of a box and like I was starting to float out of myself. And I was like, it's like that scene in I Heart Huckabee's where the particles of Jason Schwartzman merge with the particles of Mark Wahlberg. By the way, that movie is the last time that Mark Wahlberg is like hot and or acceptable. Um, I mean, he's always been disgusting. And previous two time guest Tommy O'Malley says that he's southie trash which i love because tommy's from boston and he can say that but um anyways also david a russell ugh, disgusting i mean i love i heard huckabees i love lily tomlin but i'm like if you yell at amy adams the karma of yelling at amy adams is so that is pitch black magic you know what i mean um okay Because you're going to be in hell with a bunch of rancid faggots who died of meth overdoses who are then going to kill you. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I I still don't know how this is going to shake out. And I am dead. I'm in this weird interregnum where I am very happy to not be pursuing anything and to be off of every app and to just be a nothing Um, however, of course, by the way, I'm not writing and I'm not having sex. So I have all of this energy that is just stuck 
and not it, I'm kind of stuck at chak- chakra three right now. No, 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 I'm stuck at chakra two. By the way, my whole Saturn return, I was stuck at chakra one. Thank God we're out of there. Now we're in chakra two. We love it. Great to be here. I would love if we could keep going a little bit faster. Um, you know, I have to hope that when it comes to the healing journey, I can take on a bit of a Robert Anton Wilson, which is maybe it'll get faster proportionally as it goes. Uh, and the rate of acceleration can speed up so that not everything has to be excruciating. Okay. Um, but I'm in this weird place. The I have my house of intuition. If, I, if you guys would love to sponsor me, please go for it. I have a house of intuition, midlight, midnight love incense burning right now. I had an Empress Abundance cam- candle burning for about four or five days. And with this clarity, as as out of it as I am, and as in doubt of, of how any of this is going to work as I am, I do feel that love is coming. Um, I am astrologically. So every age that you are, uh, astrologically, there's a... Okay. In, in the Natus, there are 12 houses onto which the 12 signs are laid on every year of every age you hit you hit something called a perfection which is a house that signifies the year you're in age 30 is seventh house seventh house is the house of intimate partnerships collaboration and open enemies and i am seventh house what oh i'm seventh house leo what do you do with that um but I think the open enemies phase is hopefully over of, of part one of being 30. And I welcome the intimate collaboration phase. That If I could just have that this year, that would be the best gift in the world. But I also do feel like love is coming. And I know, I just don't, I feel it in a weird way. Um, it doesn't need to be on any timetable. I have no idea what love would even look like, how this would work. I am like just starting recovery. Um, I don't even know what I'm attracted to. I really don't. Um, and I also think that I need to change my body for sick reasons, but also so that I can have some sense of ownership because I don't even know who I am in the sexual fantasy, you know? Anyway, so I'm really thankful that I got to dance. I really recommend following, obviously, Tyler Ashley, the Dauphin of Bushwick, who I haven't had on this podcast yet, which is bizarre, but, um, and Tyler J. Ashley on Spotify. I highly, okay, wait, wait, before that, let me just go back. Pluto is the outermost planet in our solar system. Um, it is the most recently discovered planet in our solar system. It is the planet of death, metamorphosis, the underworld, and the the bastions of power within that underworld. It is associated with Hades, obviously, and with um, with Orpheus um, because he he descends into the underworld and he comes back out, and with Bacchus. Um, anything with Hades, you're going to get Persephone and Inanna. So I'm, I'm, uh, a dear friend sent me a Hanukkah present, which is a book about Inanna and a book about Lilith. I haven't started the Inanna book yet, but I'm reading about Lilith. Lilith comes up in, in astrology. Lilith is essentially the dark, 
in the moon's elliptical around the earth yes at some points the moon faces the sun and at other points it comes into the dark void of space that black void in your chart is lilith in biblical astrology i'm learning so much um lilith was you know what let me just grab the book hold on one second Lilith in biblical astrology was Adam's first wife. And there's a bunch of myths. She's also in Sumerian Babylonian stuff. But in uh, Hebraic Old Testament biblical mythology, especially in Kabbalah, she was Adam's first wife. And essentially she wanted parody. And she was banished from the Garden of Eden and became this kind of immortal she-demoness vampire hag who, you know, wanders the desert. And then she becomes basically this total abject pariah figure. So um, when men get erections and have nocturnal emissions, um, it's, it's blamed on her. Anytime men are spilling seed and not using it for the sake of child uh, conception... It's Lilith, like, taking the seed from them, which is iconic. One of the quotes I found said that she was said to hang out in latrines and hallways, which is like, okay, now we're talking, babe. And I just want to find this really incredible quote um, about... Okay. So we talk about how Lilith, then, all of the women in biblical mythology... There's this history of women using artifice and makeup uh, for the sake of... Uh, okay, this is from the Book of Lilith by Barbara Black Kaltov. Okay. Um, Old Testament abounds with tales of women who use their Lilith seductiveness consciously to accomplish their ego goals. The stories of Rachel, uh, Rachel Tamar, Delilah, uh, Judith, Esther, Ruth... Bathsheba, Lot's daughters, love that they don't have their own names, the Queen of Sheba, Yael and Devorah, all demonstrate the need in feminine psychology for a woman to have her Lilith seductiveness consciously available to her as an ego function. So, essentially these women heroes in the Bible use sexuality and use, um, use artifice, use makeup, and use their hair they use they use whatever they can um to accomplish heroic deeds if we think of judith slicing off holofernes's head she lured him into the tent right delilah etc so there's this aspect that women who like tap into that power are using this like dark abject demonic um dark magic that they shouldn't be using that belongs to lilith who's this like anti-patriarchal anti-marriage hag um and i just want to read this okay i want to read this quote um traditionally a woman's hair has been considered her crowning glory a symbol of wisdom an aspect of her essentially feminine nature brides of christ vestal virgins and orthodox jewish brides have been made to sacrifice their long seductive and ensnaring hair Woman's hair has been cut and bound and covered in an effort to separate her from this goddess-given sexually seductive power of Lilith's. The Bible describes in explicit detail how Ruth, Esther, Jezebel, and Judith used oils, unguents, and scents, 
jewelry and clothing, as well as coal to outline their eyes, before each faced a terrifying, transformative encounter with the masculine. Okay. So much to say. I'm going to talk about what, what Lilith is here, and then let's go back to her point in astrology. Lilith, you know, obviously this is a feminist icon and an icon of liberated female sexuality and this kind of like counter to the fucking patriarchy. But there's this, and I hate, I'm so sorry to do this. I'm so sorry to be a white gay who is take claiming a, a, a feminist icon um, for himself, but there's this aspect of this like she goddess of spilled seed of liberated sex who hangs out in latrines um, and who whose power comes from seduction and artifice that to me is so tapped in with gay men cruising and with the art of drag especially that that idea of to uh, what did I just say a, a transformative um, a terrifying transformative encounter with the masculine what greater weapon is there in a terrifying transformative encounter with the masculine than drag or than the the you know what does Justin Vivian Bond say glamour is resistance so there's that aspect and I just love this idea that because I have always felt that and I, I've done this in work before but you know all of the fluids that have been spilled in New York City and all over the world in public parks, public bathrooms, by men having gay sex, I have always felt like is some sort of a cosmic fertilizer of consciousness that's meant to like not impregnate a body but impregnate the earth and we just have to like cultivate it. And I love that Lilith is kind of like overseeing that. I love that she's just like, yeah, fuck it up, go all the way. So in astrology, Lilith represents a lot of things. And, you know, I'm still a student of this, um, but Lilith to me represents in a person's chart, a point of exile in a point of liberation. It's the point of getting kicked out of paradise, which can be suburbia. It can be patriarchy. It can be capitalism and, and basically walking away and claiming exile abjecthood and and being a demon many of us um i have lilith in scorpio where i also have my pluto um scorpio is the house scorpio is the sign of the deeper truths of life and it is the sign of the the ways that we manipulate one another for power and it's the matrix through which we all manipulate one another. And in the case of good Scorpios, good Scorpios. In the case of many Scorpios, our doves and our, our perhaps our eagles, it's about seeing the matrix and fucking it up. Okay, Whoopi Goldberg, Parker Posey, um, Fran Lebowitz. In the case of snakes, which is, you know, certain family members and uh, triple Scorpio, Ryan Murphy, RuPaul, Hillary Clinton. By the way, I had a. Can I just tell you, my roommate showed me the Titanic for the first time. I'd never seen it two months ago. 
one of the most frightening primal films I've ever seen. Deeply upsetting. And uh, two months later, I'm still having nightmares that I'm in a sinking ship. Last night, guess who was piloting said ship? Hillary. Um, something about Libya. I don't remember. Okay. Scorpio is about death and sex and manipulation and metamorphosis. And Pluto rules, co-rules Scorpio with Mars. Our generation was born with Pluto in Scorpio. And I just think that that means that um, if you were born with Pluto and Scorpio, you have, you have, there's a, a generational and personal confrontation and dialogue that has to happen about gaslighting and about the way that power is abused. And there's a reclamation of power from abuse. And for those of us who have Lilith in Scorpio, to me, it's just like, it is the gaslit, it is Lilith at that stage where she's being gaslit into being Eve and it's her like coming out of that and being like no no we're not doing this he sucks even though Adam apparently was supposed to be gorgeous everything I'm reading about Adam he was gorgeous which is tragic you know it's interesting I'm reading a lot of um I'm reading all the new X-Men and I'm loving 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 there is this Lilith aspect where you could either say that Scott is Adam, Jean Grey is Eve, and Lilith is the Phoenix. Because I see the Lilith as this animating force, the way that the Dark Phoenix is, that pulls Jean out of bourgeois suburbia and into absolute liberation. And of course, by the way, how does the story end? She's like, I'm not coming back. Um, and she, you know, they, they fucked it up editorially, but the idea is... She becomes Lilith. You could also treat Lilith as, in this metaphor, Lilith could be Emma Frost because Lilith is seen in some ways as the, the serpent who, who tempts Eve. So Lilith is kind of Emma Frost too because Emma is just like, I'm not playing along with this. Let's call a spade a spade. I have Lilith and Scorpio in my 10th house of career and public role where I also have Pluto. I think for me, I mean, obviously, go-go dancing with Lilith comes in. And I think for me, the, the awakening out of gaslighting feeds into my career trajectory. And then, you know, this is what I want to say about Pluto and Scorpio, because if you have a strong placement of Pluto and Scorpio, for instance, if you are Scorpio rising and you're in my generation, or if you are a Scorpio sun, Pluto is a bastion of power and metamorphosis, and Scorpio is the sign of metamorphosis. And what I want to warn you about is other people may use you, or unwillingly, you may be the stage of other people's metamorphosis without even knowing it. This happens a lot with Scorpio Risings, and now that I'm thinking about Scorpio in my 10th house of career and public roles, I, I can see how this is played out in the work arena, which is, and I've, by the way, done this to Scorpios romantically, which is like, uh, we had a thing, and then it inspired me to make a huge change in my life. It's kind of a good luck Chuck syndrome, if you are a Scorpio, which is basically you're this power battery of metamorphosis, and other people are sucking you dry. The reason that Scorpios crave authenticity is they want real ones who aren't going to use them. 
the ideal for anyone with a strong Scorpio placement, I mean, I would say first, fourth, seventh, or tenth house, but honestly, any Scorpio placement can be strong, is embracing a lifetime of constant metamorphosis and transformation. Having people around you who can support that metamorphosis and not use you constantly as like a, a power battery for their own. And like, yeah, when I look at my 10th house of career and public roles, okay, right now I'm reading astrology and tarot. If you had told me that a year ago, I would not have believed you. There's been go-go dancing. I wanted to be a screenwriter and still do. I wanted to write comic books and still do. Journalism for a decade, writing about comedy in New York. Who knew that was going to happen? So there is this sense of constant metamorphosis. Um, that's really exciting. I'm really enjoying the current era of X-Men. My, I'm really loving it. I don't think Jean Grey should be in this Marvel Girl costume. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I'm waiting for Storm to get a little beefed up, but Kitty Pride serving it. And, you know, listen, there are some just truths about life. Bishop is hot and Forge is hot. And that's kind of all you need. I'm a little having trouble with the New Mutants. The New Mutants are beloved in my in this house. Um, and, you know, I did a, a New Mutants piece in my solo show, Rebirth, in March. You know, the, the thing about the New Mutants is that they are not like other superhero teams. The New Mutants are a cross-cultural... And, and by the way, everyone should read the book, The New Mutants, by previous guest Ramsey Fawaz or listen to our interview. Um, on this podcast. The New Mutants is a group of mutants who all come from different racial, uh, socioeconomic, class, and cultural backgrounds. So we have Karma, who is uh, a refugee from Vietnam. We have Danny Moonstar, legend, who is um, a Cheyenne um, from the Heartland. We have um, Cannonball, who's Appalachian White Trash. We have, um, um, I'm sorry, Sunspot, who's from Brazil. And I didn't even know this because they've whitewashed the character. And even in the New Mutants movie, racially, they fucked that up. Um, he's black. He's interracial, black, and very wealthy. And then, of course, we have the, the one comic book character who I think I am, Magic. I am Magic, who is... Um, Colossus's sister who was kidnapped and taken to a hell dimension um, and like basically survived sexual abuse and is now like a sorceress demoness icon okay new mutants is about it's not about saving the day it is and again this is all Ramsey Fawaz theory but it's about how are we at multiple um, iterations and intersections of identity going to do this? How are we going to interact? How does Moonstar's identity as a Native American and a woman and a mutant intersect? My issue is that that's not really coming up for those characters and they're all just kind of hanging out on Krakoa while a lot of the other characters are getting to ask these bigger questions. So I just hope that that happens with the new mutants. Um, the other thing I want to say is that my... Okay, while I'm dealing with my Neptunian stuff, which is what are the things that make me leave this reality, I'm questioning a lot of the way that I consume TV, especially, you know, the number one escape in all of my life will always be 
wait for it, you guessed it, Buffy, and I'm rewatching Angel. Angel is a very uneven show, but when Angel is good, it's the best show ever made. And you know, Buffy is, if we said that Buffy is a, is a, a feminist show inspired by uncanny X-Men comics in the late 70s and early 80s, we could say that Angel is a masculine show inspired by 80s, 90s X-Men comics, Batman, and Shakespeare. This is most evident in season three, which I just completed, which is a perfect season of television, which you can honestly like even just skip to it. Honestly, no. If you want to watch Angel, please talk to me. I'm going to send, I'll send you an abridged episode guide. Season three is this very intense, very Shakespearean, very beautiful um, thing. But Angel does a lot of what X-Men does as X-Men gets a little off the rails, which is we have time travel, we have alternate dimensions, we have all kinds of shit happening, but it's been complicated because I get so involved, and especially the character of Cordelia, played by Charisma Carpenter, who is a Leo and a star, and we support her and we celebrate her, and Joss Whedon, sh fucking cancer showrunner of Buffy and Angel, um, screwed her over, which I'm about to talk about, but... Her character has a complete arc where she essentially ends the show elevated uh, and becomes a higher being. And it's this really beautiful payoff. And after that season, Charisma Carpenter informed Joss Whedon that she was pregnant with her husband's child. And out of revenge, he completely destroyed the character and... Season four, though I think it's a brilliant season and explores really incredible themes, is like this... Un it's, it's a Lilithing of Charisma Carpenter. It's, it is this character who is at the height of her power and this actress who is at the height of her star power and her versatility and her range. Because the character starts very one-note and, and she really takes you all the way. Getting violated in terms of the character is violated, the actress is violated, and the viewer is violated. And I don't know if I can watch, if I can rewatch season four. I want to, but I just don't know. And, and I'm also just confronting if I can watch any of these shows or because a part of it, it's, it's where I go to heal. It's where I go to molt. It's where I go to create, but I don't know if I can handle it because I can't sleep. And I, reality gets blurred for me it, it's like doing drugs for me Rea it's and, and this is why i quit writing my my book this year because i was not on this planet anymore there were protests going on and i had one foot in them and one foot in an alternate reality and the alternate reality was was getting more real than what was going on in this world so anyways that's just what's going on and and anyways with lilith in my 10th house, I think gaslighting is always going to play into my work, but I highly recommend, you know, if I could read your chart, we will, or if I have read your chart already, let's talk about your Lilith because I'm reading about her and I'm really fascinated by her. Okay. On the subject of men who present a fantasy that isn't real, um, I w and that's often related to the lure of annihilation that comes from a history of gaslighting and abuse. Let's talk about Ryan O'Neill. Okay. 
When I watched What's Up Doc this summer, I have never been more turned on by any film ever. What's Up Doc is a Peter Bogdanovich movie. I I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's excellent. Um, in which Barbara Streisand sexually humiliates and torments, uh, as a Jewish woman, sexually humiliates and torments through all sorts of slapstick farcical hijinks. Um uber wasp ryan o'neill um and who is in the movie married or engaged to the love of my life madeline khan who i just want to say madeline khan was really big in our house because we were in mel brooks house and madeline khan first of all just when i was a kid i was like you know madeline khan when i was a child in the same way when i saw bring it on in the theater and I saw Gabrielle Union for the first time, it was like, who is that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman? Like, but Madeline Kahn is so gifted. She's so talented. And Madeline Kahn, I remember when she died, because I think she died the same year that Aaliyah died when I was 10. It was, the, it was my first time, she and Aaliyah, their deaths were my first exposure to, to death in that way of someone I, uh, someone I know of died. Okay. Ryan O'Neill in What's Up Doc is like a straight lace wasp and Barbara just wants to fuck him and she it is I have never seen anything so hot because he's so restrained but you know of course in real life Ryan O'Neill was a fucking freak he was a lunatic um of course in Paper Moon in which he's also incredibly hot he's an incredible actor his daughter Tatum O'Neill rightfully won the oscar for paper moon it was not by the way i watched the piano this summer the piano sucks we love anna paquin she did not deserve an oscar and it's not even that she was bad that role you know when you give an oscar to a child it needs to be whale rider level and that character in the piano was not an uh, it's not a complex character it's like a secondary character however tatum o'neill in paper moon which i highly recommend Great movie, by the way, for, um, like, an economic meltdown in a pandemic. Got the Oscar. Her father, Ryan O'Neill, did not get the Oscar. And, of course, you know, he terrorized her and abused her. Um, he abused every woman he was ever with. He is... He's a very dark creature. Um, and that comes out in, in, in his movies, especially when he plays straight-laced. And this week, I watched Love Story... For the first time with him and Ali McGraw. Ali McGraw. Okay, no one told me about her. She is fucking... They just don't make them like that anymore. I'm sorry to say. They just don't make them like that anymore. And Love Story was incredible. Every line was... The writing was so good. She was such a good character. And he is incredible. But I... It's not good that I'm attracted to him because I know that he's he's literally, if you read about him, he is one of the most evil people who's ever lived. And what constellation is he? He's Taurus. He is Taurus because I have said this and my therapist says that I shouldn't say this because I'm a Taurus son. Taurus son men are hot and good for nothing. Okay, we're thinking Henry Cavill. We're thinking Richard Madden. I would say James McAvoy, but I actually think he's incredibly talented. But you get what I'm saying. 
I have been obsessed with other Taurus men in the past because they fit a fantasy. Taurus is ruled by Venus. Venus is going to make some beautiful men, okay? And it's not real. It's like a fantasy. Um, I do want to read... If you are my friend, you have heard this a hundred times, but the greatest joy of my life is the Angelica Houston Vulture interview that came out in 2019. Okay. And she, the Vulture and New York Magazine do really good interviews with kind of, obviously the Tandy Newton interview is, is massive, but I want to read, this is from the Angelica Houston interview, which you can look up. What happened when you cheated on Jack Nicholson with Ryan O'Neill? No, Ryan swept me off my feet. He called and asked if he could take me out and that was pretty much it. And then the interviewer says, he drove a Rolls Royce back then. A big maroon Rolls Royce. You won't see that car today. It was eye-watering, that car. Ryan was a great beauty. If I were to say to you that this red gold burnished god walked into the door while I was at this party and went on one knee and said, you're the most fantastic, wonderful, amazing person I've ever had the privilege to be in a room with, you'd have responded, believe me. Especially at a moment when your boyfriend told you he was going to get the keys to the city of New York with Bob Evans and that none of the wives would be there. I was just in the mood, you know. You wrote in your memoir that you kissed Ryan O'Neill on his dining room table for six hours. I was trying to picture it and I concluded that this couldn't factually be true. Factually true. But your back. What about your back? I was young. My back was like liquid amber. Why didn't you move? Did the man not have a sofa? No. I think we were just too unwrapped. But it could have been four hours, quite honestly. You can shave a couple of hours off that. I'm prone to exaggeration. Ryan sounded like he was a psychopath with you. Yes, I think he was. He headbutted me. He took my head in his hands and hit it with full force against his head because he couldn't find me at a party. He's a deeply disturbed, or at least was then. I can't vouch for now, but I think he was. Deeply disturbed per person. Okay, this is when the interview goes really good. You once wrote that you feel like people physically become the people that they are inside. It's the opposite of the picture of Dorian Gray. They become what is inside. Then the interview says, do you think people also get the careers they deserve? Ryan was on top of the world and then his career disappeared. Yes, I do. And I think you also get the face you deserve. Have you seen it lately? <laughs> okay. Angelica Houston is so major. I really recommend her memoirs, by the way, and I recommend you do them audiobook because when I lived in LA, I listened to the story lately told audiobook, which I got from the LA Public Library, which of course was always uh, swamped in meth heads. By the way, people who don't understand why the pandemic is so bad in LA and why LA has a raging homeless problem, it's like it's always been that way and no one has ever wanted to deal with it. There has always been an unbelievable crisis in that city and no one's wanted to deal with it. Okay. Angelica Houston's memoir is incredible. She is a cancer sun, cancer rising in the seventh house. Oof. She is a Sagittarius rising. We love. She is Pluto and, and no, she's Pluto in, and Mercury in Leo. She has a moon and Venus in Virgo. So we do get that kind of, oh, and she's Saturn in Virgo. So she makes good choices and we get there is a mutability, but it's very, very refined. And she said that she based Morticia Adams off of Jerry Hall, which is just like, please kill me. Nothing could be better. The last thing that I want to say about love story, and this pissed me off. 
I've watched three movies this summer with a similar thread. Love Story, Terms of Endearment, and Steel Magnolias. First of all, Steel Magnolias is a perfect film. Um, secondly, Terms of Endearment and Steel Magnolias and Postcards from the Edge feature another Taurus who deserves, who does, who has a seat in heaven when her time comes, but who also deserves to live forever, Shirley MacLaine. Terms of Endearment, Steel Magnolias, and Love Story have a similar theme, which are very well-written, very good stories of rich white people that rather than deal with what it means to be a rich white person, throw in the way that... Oh, by the way, let's add beaches to the list. Another, okay? Throw in, in the third act, the beautiful young woman gets a mysterious disease or a cancer that makes her still look gorgeous and dies. And it pissed me off because I actually thought that Love Story had such good writing and I would have loved to see it be about what does it mean that a poor Catholic girl and a millionaire wasp fall in love in the same same with steel magnolias same with beaches what does it mean that a wasp millionaire girl again and her jewish best friend bet midler bet midler barbara hershey are best friends not what what does it mean that barbara hershey gets this mysterious illness and drops dead i, I just think it's so artificial and you can just tell that these writers could not deal with class because as we always say on this podcast there is no class in america we're not allowed to talk about class that is why i'm moving to the uk which is doing so great right now and they're such a chill place to be um the last recommendation i want to give listen we're all watching love and Nano. it's incredible i really if you well two things if you're liking love and Nano. And this is obvious. I would definitely watch All About My Mother, which is my all-time favorite movie by Pedro Almodovar. It'll give you, it'll fill that sweet spot in a really nice way. And then the other thing is, of course, the Bee Gees documentary. The Bee Gees documentary, and then you listen to Guilty by Barbara Streisand and Barry Gibb. You just, I was alone in my apartment gasping in joy when I watched that documentary. So I really, really highly recommend you give it a listen. Thank you so much for listening to this rambling hour. Um, I feel great. And I am, as always, on Instagram, David underscore Odyssey. Um, you can always email me, adavidodyssey at gmail.com. Just so you know, and this is just for everyone to know, Odyssey, commonly is spelled O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. Um, and... If you would ever like a reading, tarot or astrology, I have got the cards in my hand right now and you just let me know and we will make something happen. Thank you for listening. I love you. Bye-bye.